0: Hello, and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where every week we bring you interesting discussions on issues impacting the business of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. Mostly, let's admit it, we talk about food and farming because I don't yet have uh, anybody on from the fiber or fuel side, but that's coming as we do talk a little bit about ethanol, and I have worked for cotton people. But mostly it's food, and that's why this episode is all about food. You know, the business of agriculture is about producing groceries. That's what we do in this industry. We make food. We feed seven and a half billion people on Earth, 320 million of them right here in the United States of America, about 40 million up there in Canada. I know that's where you're from because you're listening to me. Today, I've got a grocery expert. This guy is exactly who you want right now to talk about groceries. He's the editor of the Progressive Grocer Magazine, it's also a website. He goes around North America to food conventions. He's a sharp guy. His name is Jim Dudlasek, and I met him a couple of years ago. Actually, it was last year at a meat conference. So Jim Dudlasek is with me today to talk about groceries, because remember, here in the business of ag, everything we do ultimately is about the consumer buying it, putting it on the plate, and eating it. Mr. Dudlasek, welcome to the business of agriculture.
1: Thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well,
0: we appreciate you coming on here. You know, I think that a lot of our people, they get real wrapped up in, in pounds per pig per day, uh, bushels of, of corn and uh, output of cranberries, and they maybe sometimes lose a little bit of sight that ultimately it's the consumer. It's that person that's going down the grocery aisle buying our product that we answer to, and we've got to make sure that we're always giving them a great product, which we do. What are you seeing when you, when you look at a grocery store today? What's the trend, what's happening?
1: Well, you're absolutely right about that uh, thought between large quantities versus small quantities and the consumer, because definitely, the consumer is king or queen, as the case may be. Uh, it used to be that a supermarket had stuff in it, they told you what to buy, you went and got it. Now, we're seeing the consumer telling the grocery store what they want to see. Everything has changed now. The attitude towards food, people are, are probably more interested in food than they ever have been in a long time. They don't necessarily, they're not necessarily educated about it. They don't know how to necessarily cook it, but they're interested in what it is, where it comes from, and that they want to eat it. And
0: by the way, that right there, Mr. Dedlasek, is something that I, I preach this to my audiences that, you know, it doesn't mean that we, we don't have to be um, in a... Any fight with our consumers. Yeah, they sometimes are demanding of agriculture, but more than ever, they're spending lots of money and there's good profit margins on the kind of crazy stuff. When you said food is more, the consumers more into food than they've ever been. Just last week, Wall Street Journal had an article, is Chef, the new astronaut. And it showed children, like 10-year-old kids, in a kitchen, you know, yuppies, yuppie people of the suburbs of America, their kids are in there cooking is chef the new astronaut well so,
1: so just look at the food network chefs are celebrities now they're you know you know you go back 20 30 years who could name a chef of any kind except perhaps maybe one you'd know at the joint you go to on the weekend to eat locally um, not that chefs are celebrities now and the the whole idea the, the the food network social media the internet has changed everything now because Um, new uh, grassroots and small manufacturers can bypass the normal supply chain and communicate directly with consumers and show them uh, new products that are coming up that they are creating pretty much based on holes in the market that they've seen that consumers want or perhaps things that these manufacturers personally have created and they realize that there's a market for it and they can communicate directly over the internet and through social media and uh And drum up enough support among consumers where now the consumers can go to their local grocer and say, hey, you know, why don't you stock this in your store? And the grocers really have to have to follow that lead because if they don't, they know people are going to buy stuff from someplace else instead of their store. And, you know,
0: that's a power shift. Would you say it's a power shift? Because, you know, when we were kids, by the way, uh, my listeners know this. Jim is about two years younger than me. I'm 48. He's 46. And if you forgot, he's the editorial director at Progressive Grocer. So we're talking all things grocery. I think there's been a power shift because just what you said, the old days, you went in there and the grocery store still served the clients. But it was, yeah, we're going to put this on the end cap and we're going to stock this amount of stuff. And there's so much availability. The the internet and the foodie movement has made it so that there's more demand for oddball stuff than there's ever been in civilization.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That definitely is the case. Um, you know, you can the manufacturers are marketing directly to consumers now, um, and and you know it's it's not just the whole Amazon thing. It's it's it, the internet and social media has made it economically feasible for small scale players. To do business so
0: we talk about trends at the grocery store and you know we, we know that there's more creative stuff than there's ever been I make the point when I do my speeches for ag crowds for instance hemp milk you know I'm a dairy farm kid I think it's sacrilege to call anything that's not from the bovine milk you know almond milk cashew milk rice milk as I always point out as an insult to the Holstein for crying out loud and then hemp milk you, you, you drink the fluid you smoke the carton ha 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 well yeah. What what else are we seeing? What tell me some
1: trends that you see? Well, the biggest trend now is is fresh. Everything fresh. Um, you know, the center store, uh, the center of the store, continues to be a huge profit center, but it is fading and it's fading because the products there can be had uh, in so many other different channels. They can be had at a superstore, a big box store, a dollar store, and they can be had online. People are, certain things like paper products and detergent, dog food, they're getting from um, uh, subscription services. People can just hit a button on their washing machine and in 24 hours, a case of Tide shows up on their doorstep. So in order to offset those that loss of sales grocers are and for the past several years have been focusing much more attention and much more resources and investment on what is called the fresh perimeter where the produce is where the meat is where the bakery is so that that is a a, that is huge growth area and from that also what we have Uh, what has been termed by some e-grocerant, which is the melding of grocery stores and restaurants and the providing of prepared foods, uh, restaurant quality, sometimes in a restaurant-style manner. In this is an outgrowth of what used to be just a few rotisserie chickens under a heat lamp in the grocery store 20 years ago to now. Hot bars, salad bars, specialty foods, custom-made sandwiches, carving lines. There are grocery stores like Hy-Vee and Wegmans that actually have full-service restaurants in their stores. You can go and sit at the bar and get a cocktail, have a meal served to you, Uh, either before or after your shopping trip, or you can go to uh, their hot bars outside. Uh, Grocery stores, they have wine tastings, beer pairings. I've been in stores where uh, they have a, a cooking station set up where you can come and sit maybe a half dozen folks in stools and sit there and drink wine and actually talk to the cooks and communicate with the chefs in the grocery store as they prepare a meal for you and explain how everything is made, how the flavors go together, and that, again, is part of that whole interest in food, and it's, it's that whole idea of fresh. Um, moving beyond that, convenience is a huge thing. Uh, people come in, they're not, you know, it's the old story about when someone goes in looking for a drill bit, they don't want a drill bit, they want a hole. When they go into a grocery store, they don't want ABC ingredients, they want dinner, they want lunch. So they're coming in looking for a solution. In most cases, there's still some folks who are going in, they want specific things. But for the most part, the trend is toward coming in. It's the whole idea. We had a, uh, one of our uh, columnists uh, online uh, recently uh, write about the whole idea of shop at five, dine at seven. It's the whole thing that people come in on their way home from work. They don't know what they want to eat. Do they go to the McDonald's drive through They're trying to wean themselves away from that because they want something more wholesome. So supermarkets are positioning themselves as a place where you can go in and you can come in with a meal and find a meal solution, whether that's ready to eat there, ready to eat when you get it home, heat it up when you get it home, or now meal kits, companies like Kroger and Albertsons are investing, they're buying up some of these startup meal kit companies and working them into their own, uh, uh, their own lineups. Uh, so people can come in and take home something that they can say they made. It's it's the new definition of scratch cooking, but it it takes all the hard work out for them, and they have fewer leftovers. There's less waste and quite honestly, grocers can sell at a premium because they know people are willing to pay for that level of convenience.
0: One of the things, by the way, that's fantastic information, and yeah, it does boil down to food is hotter now, and I don't mean hot in temperature, it's hotter than it's ever been, so, you know, and I've been paying attention for a long time, When I first lived in the big city of Indianapolis because I was raised on a farm, of course, so I was about 23 years old out of college. I live in the big city and I went to a more high end grocery store, which is the kind of thing you didn't have in Huntington, Indiana, which is a factory and farm town. And I was fascinated. They had a cooking school. and This was 20 some odd years ago. That was the beginning of this thing. And I went to the cooking school and I can guarantee that nobody there really went home and took the lesson of how to prepare, you know, veal Parmesan or whatever, but it was a experience. And that's what the, the consumer is pieing. And, you know, like I tell my ag audiences, they're buying story also. This movement yes. to food. When you just said that thing about these meal kits, I go to a fries, which is a part of a grocery, uh, Kroger, of course. And it's a higher end one in Phoenix, Arizona, where they've got the olive bar. And they've got the wine tasting and beer, uh, craft beer area. And these meal kits, I've just discovered that. I don't know how recent, but maybe in the last six months. Is that kind of the new thing? Like you said, the consumer buys it and goes home with it. And it's got uh, two side dishes and a main course. And it's you know dinner for two. And it's going to take you eight minutes to prepare it. That's kind of the concept, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. What besides that is new that they're selling what is a new food product that you're seeing getting sold
1: uh well there's definitely an increase in interest in anything plant-based you mentioned the whole thing about dairy it's coming into meat now uh products like uh there's one called beyond meat and they've expanded into a new product called beyond sausage i haven't tried it yet um also the impossible burger is catching on now beyond the product beyond meat um i was at the um Natural Foods Expo West about a year or so ago, and I had an opportunity to, to try their product. And they are replicating, or purport to replicate, the mouthfeel, the experience of eating an actual beef-based burger, but it's made from plant protein. Contains beet juice to simulate the bleed from a you know a, a, a rarer burger, and their their aim is to appeal to not the vegetarian or vegan because they know they got those people sewn up those folks will find whatever they want wherever they are they're the diehards they're aiming to hit what's called the flexitarian or the meat eater that is in more cases now experimenting with these different products wanting to replace meat with other things in their diet whether it's for health reasons or or whatever it is, a change of pace. And my experience with it is, I mean, I'm a diehard meat eater. I When I eat a burger, I don't put a hell of a lot on it because I like to taste the beef. To me, eating this particular burger was like eating a hamburger with a cold. You get the heft, you get the mouth feel, but you can't quite taste it. Now, that's just me, but I can see a huge market for folks who – they like a lot of toppings on their burger. This is going to appeal to them or using the grind as a uh, seasoned crumbles for taco meat or in a casserole or something like that. Um, and the, the, the price is coming down. It used to be, you know, because it was experimental, very pricey. The price is still premium, but in line with other products and grocery stores are marketing it in the meat case, right alongside the other meat products, which, you know, at first you might think, oh, my God, how, how can this happen? This is, you know, sort of diluting the whole idea of the meat department. But really, because of consumer demand, I mean, I foresee a need for meat departments to sort of evolve into protein department because, yeah, the center of, the, center of plate is being challenged, but it's being challenged from a consumer point of view is what folks want. And ultimately, grocers have to deliver, you know, what people want you have your own personal taste. You may agree with it or not, but if folks coming in looking for something, if consumers don't provide it, you're going to go someplace else. And you know, there goes your business.
0: Yeah. The thing that um, we must always remember is we as ag answer to the consumer, well, these grocery stores answer to the consumer. And while you or I that are meat people, I'm a beef hobbyist and I, I would never be a, (laughs) Flexitarian. <laughs> by the way, dear listeners, flexitarian is a word you probably haven't heard in many ag circles. That's why you get it here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Jim Dublasek, editor Progressive Grocery, in case you forgot, telling us about meat. All right, beet juice and, and, and plant-based protein, the prices are coming down. Grocery stores are putting it more out there next to meat. Now, when I think about uh, a really good resource from you, when I say what else is happening in meat, You know, 30 years ago, certified Angus beef. And then, what, 10 years ago, grass-fed. And then we've seen a little bit, this whole foods influence, I think, was where this came from, certified humane. Mm -hmm. Uh, What else do you see in the meat counter besides plant-based protein?
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, when you you hear plant-based coming up, you think, oh, that's the end of meat. Well, not really, because uh, we're also seeing a renewed interest in higher-end meat. Better quality. People might be eating less of it, but they're willing to spend more for a special cut, a special steak. And you're also seeing different cuts. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of snout to tail kind of things where people are eating. You know, sweetbreads, offals, um, and different cuts. Uh, you know, cheap meat uh, stuff like that. Um, a friend of mine in Arizona
0: that's uh, not poor, so he, he's he's able to experiment with the, this kind of thing, uh, asked me if I could get him some beef cheeks and bring them out from my farm here to Arizona. Now, the customer that used to eat beef cheeks was not a guy that lives in a million-dollar home and has a, you know a, a substantial amount of net worth. This guy had seen it on the Food Network, and then he wants to smoke cheek meat. Same thing, I'm told, is happening. You know, Brisket, which was obviously made into corn Corned beef or into pastrami because it was a poor man's piece of meat. You had to season the hell out of it and cook it for twelve hours to make it edible. Brisket selling for about the same prices as steak because of the the love of brisket right now. Isn't it crazy that stuff that was a poor man's cut 30 50 70, 100 years ago is now in demand?
1: Well, I mean, it's just the evolution of everything. Just you know, think back fifty or sixty years. Chicken wings were either thrown in the garbage or used for soup. Then the Anchor Bar in Buffalo tosses them in hot sauce, and the rest is history. Wings are expensive. Um, it's, 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 all, you know, it's all a cycle. It's all the latest thing, and it, uh, it, it drives interest in food. It drives prices up, and you know, ultimately it's, it's good for, for retailers because they can provide something that customers want.
0: One thing, Jim, that I like to explain or remind my people of out here that are more on the production processing side of the business of agriculture is that we still think it's about the production and we think it's about price. No, in an affluent country like here in North America, you know, Canada, the U.S., Western Europe, food is a fad, food is a trend, food is a political statement, food is a social event, it's not mere sustenance as it was 100, 200 years ago. Um, with that in mind, when you see these, uh, obscure cuts, I had my dairy farmer on a couple of episodes ago and we talked about dairy. You've got a background. You used to be a, uh, the, edit- used to be the editor for the dairy foods publication. What's happening in the dairy case? Cause it's my observation. Not nearly enough.
1: <laughs> um, no, I mean the, it, it, when I was, when I was editor of first dairy field magazine and then dairy foods. Um, the, the milk chug had just come on the scene and that was supposed to revive fluid milk because it was, you know, flat to, to, to losing ground then. And quite honestly, it's flat to losing ground now and even worse. Um, people are just not interested in it. It hasn't been able to shake that commodity mindset. Um, organic milk was a bright spot for a while, but even now it's taking a hit because, again, like in meat, plant-based. Actually, plant-based was hitting dairy, I think, before it got into meat. Um, the grocery stores I'm in now, you go in the dairy case, and it's totally different from how it was 5, seven, ten years ago. You're seeing soy milks, almond milks, cashew milks, nut milks, and that's just the fluid side. They're getting into cheeses, you know, a, a nut-based cheese that used to be a joke. Now they're at, the, the quality is improving because you know technologies and processes are improving. Um, the, the biggest thing now I see in dairy is plant-based yogurts, and they're actually not bad. Um, you, they're based, uh, you know, on coconut milks and, and you know, and other uh, plant proteins. Uh, one particular brand called Kite Hill has been doing very well um they're they're just catching on and the whole the whole face of the, of the dairy case is changing um basically now you have you, you go to the yogurt section and whatever is actually milk based is like 90 percent greek that's just huge um yeah, and you have a little bit of other alternate stuff you have you know your regular standard play, and then you have some uh, Australian style, like Nusa, which is I actually prefer to, to Greek style yogurt myself, and then skyr from Iceland, with, and then Siggy's is a huge. Uh, sure, Australian I know that yogurt, uh, Greek yogurt was a,
0: the, the the hot thing, the new boom for dairy, and it seems like it's it's kind of leveled off. Or like you said, there's these new ones that are variations thereupon. Mm-hmm. Uh, cheese. 40 years ago, Americans ate one third of the amount of cheese that they do now, but I don't know that it's increasing. Is cheese increasing or are we leveled there?
1: Um, you know what, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I know that there's definitely a continued interest in specialty cheeses. If it wasn't, mainstream grocery stores wouldn't be increasing the sizes of their counters. A lot of stores I've been in, they actually have staffed cheese counters with you know, cheese mongers there to advise folks on what to buy, there's huge international selections. They're cross merchandise with jams and dried fruit and crackers, and um, they're advising folks coming in on what wines to pair with them. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's huge. It's why, you know, um, back in the day, Wisconsin still called America's dairyland based on sheer output of of tonnage of milk. Well, California has long since surpassed that just because of the size of the state and the number of farms they have there. So Wisconsin is, is refocusing its efforts on marketing specialty cheeses. It has many small uh, cheesemakers all throughout the state that do a fantastic job. Their cheeses are top contenders on the international stage for some of the finest cheeses in the world. And, you know, those are the kind of things that people look for because it's it's one of those things that's like an affordable indulgence. Even when an economy goes south, people will occasionally still treat themselves to a really nice piece of cheese or some other high-end food because it's their way of dealing with the fact that everything else is crashing down around them.
0: That's fantastic. All right, here's what we're going to do, dear listeners, because Jim Douglasek, the editing uh, editorial director of Progressive Grocer, is an excellent guest. He knows a lot about food. He knows everything that happens inside the grocery store because it's his business. And since our product, our business here in the business of agriculture is making groceries, I think he's a guest. That we're going to make a two-part series. We're going to wrap up this part. If you're enjoying it, come back. We're going to talk about the future of food and groceries and a couple more questions about meat, milk, eggs, and the fresh side of the grocery store. Thanks for joining me for the Business of Agriculture. And again, if you're digging this, go ahead and listen to part two. But if you just kind of are crunched on time, I didn't want to take your whole day. Until next time.